The following audio is from First Hamilton Christian Reformed Church, where our vision is to be transformed by the gospel so that we can participate with God in his work of renewing all things in Christ. For more information about First Hamilton, visit www.firsthamilton.ca. Have you ever uh, been in, in, you know, in a room with some people that you really love, whether it's friends or family, maybe over beer and wine, some cheese, good food, a game, a group game, a board game, whatever, and, and you found yourself just in a really happy place, surrounded by the people that you love. It, it just makes you smile. Times when we're together laughing and enjoying each other's company, they're, they're amazing. They, they make us feel whole. They, they make our lives feel like it's in harmony, that everything's working. Often, these are moments that we long for, that we look forward to. We find ourselves thinking back to these moments when we're reminiscing over the past and looking forward to times like this in the future. But have you ever noticed that these moments seem to be few and far between? For every moment of harmony and wholeness and happiness, there are moments in relationships that are full of conflict and perhaps even resentment. For every moment of rest and happiness, there's, there's busyness and frustration. But believe it or not, those moments those snippets of wholeness and harmony and happiness, this is actually God's vision for our world. It's how he made it. God's plan is for this to characterize our entire lives. And this feeling that we get inside, this feeling of harmony and happiness and wholeness, it's all characterized in the Hebrew word shalom. Shalom is oftentimes translated as peace, but it means more than that. It's this wholeness, this harmony, this perfection in which we live. The story of the Bible is essentially a story about shalom. Shalom in the garden, the peace, the prosperity, the harmony. Broken shalom when sin entered the world, and then the wholeness coming back through the story of redemption. But right now, what do we do? We're stuck in the middle. We are finding ourselves in a difficult spot where we have this ache in our hearts for the world to be a certain way, and yet it isn't. And we've been called as Christians, specifically to this place. What do we do? What if I told you that, that generosity is the key to bringing about shalom? What if I told you that generosity is the heartbeat of this kind of restoration in our relationships, in our communities, in our world? Would you want to know more? Would you pay attention? Throughout this entire series of gen uh, on generosity, think about it. We've been tracing through the relational triangle, right? The up, the in, and the out. And at each point along the way, we are seeing that generosity brings about shalom, this peace, this prosperity, this wholeness, this comfort. Through God's generosity towards us, what, what is the byproduct of that? It's peace, right? Oneness with Christ, because he gave himself for us. We can be with him, and it takes the pressure off. 
We see this also in our relationships with one another in Christian community. When the needs are met, remember we looked at that passage in Acts, right? The needs were met. They, they ate together. They break, broke bread together. They were in harmony with one another. It's shalom. It's through generosity that this comes about. And it's the same way with our world. Shalom comes through generosity. This passage in Jeremiah is the call to live generous lives in the world. So, let's look at three things this morning, shall we? Generosity to our world brings about shalom when we do three things. When we see the place and the circumstance that we're in, when we receive the call from God, and when we are empowered by Jesus and the Holy Spirit. So it's in the place and the circumstance that we're in through the call that we've received by the power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit through us. So let's start with the place and the circumstance that we are in. For us to begin to understand what God is telling the Israelites in this passage, we have to begin to see things through their eyes. So if we meet Israel in this story, we meet them at a very difficult time, an extremely difficult time, arguably the hardest point in the history of Israel in the Old Testament. They've been taken into exile by the Babylonian Empire, and this exile was particularly difficult for Israel because of the brutality of the Babylonian Empire. They were, they were known for just being horrible in the way that they treated nations that they captured. Um, notice that this letter is written to the surviving elders. That gives us a picture of kind of the, the, the roadmap or, or the, the, the landscape that Israel finds themselves in. They're, they're devastated by this exile. To make things worse, though, the Babylonians didn't just seek to take over people groups. They also sought to destroy culture. This letter was written to the elders, exiles, priests, prophets, skilled workers, and artisans. Commentators of the Bible say that these are the cultural elites. These are the people who are, are entrusted with preserving the story of Israel. They're the ones who are, who are the culture makers of that society. And they're the ones that Babylon targeted when they brought people away from their land. These are, for us, they would be, you know, the artists, the storytellers, the radio hosts, the podcasters, the professors. These are the people who we have entrusted to tell the story. And so by doing this, the Babylonians didn't just destroy people, but they also destroyed culture. And it was, and it still is, a terrible thing when this happens. But in all of this that Israel is experiencing, there's a question that rises to the surface that would have dominated their minds. Where is God in this? Has God abandoned us? Or, or even worse, has God been defeated by the Babylonian gods? But in a judgmental comfort, judgmental comfort, you heard it here first, folks. Because Israel was exiled because of their disobedience to God. They were warned through the prophets that this would happen, and it did. But in judgmental comfort, God reassures them of his sovereignty even in Babylon. We read in verse 4 that this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to those I carried into exile. 
Sure, it also says that, that King Nebuchadnezzar was the one who brought them into exile, but only because God allowed him to. Only because God allowed him to. This is an assurance to Israel that even in the face of the most powerful oppressor that the world knew at that time, that God was still sovereign, God was still in control. And, and more than that, God was still up to something. What is going on in your life right now where you find yourself wondering that same burning question that the Israelites did? Where is God in this. Has God abandoned me, abandoned us? Does he care? Israel was living in exile in a land that they didn't share any of the beliefs or any of the values with, but they had not been abandoned by their God, and we aren't either. And in fact, we have something more to look to than they did for this. We look to the cross. We can look to the cross and we can see that Jesus Christ went there and was abandoned by God when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It's because he, at that moment, lost a relationship with his father. He was the one who was abandoned in our place so that we can look at him and know that we never will be. We are not abandoned by God, no matter what happens in our lives. We can know that God is up to something. He is the sovereign God over any of the powers in our world. But more than the fact that God was with them, this exile would have still seemed like a complete stop sign in this journey of redemption. See, everything in Israel's history had been going the opposite direction. It had been going from Babel or Babylon to Jerusalem. So the, the chaos of Babylon to the shalom of Jerusalem. And so it would have been completely unthinkable to them that there could be such a thing as a movement backward from the shalom of Jerusalem to the chaos of Babylon. This is, this is a complete U-turn in the story of salvation. It's like if you've ever been on a road trip before, you know your destination is north and you're heading south, you know that you will never actually arrive at your destination if you keep going that direction. This is common sense. But this is not the way that Jeremiah talks about it. I had a wow moment when I was preparing this sermon because the language used in this passage of planting and eating, of marrying and having children and grandchildren, and especially the instruction to increase in number, all root itself in the language of Genesis when God created the world. And he told Adam and Eve to do exactly this, to plant and eat, to marry and increase in number and fill the earth. It's the cultural mandate that Jeremiah is bringing into this passage and applying to their life in Babylon. What this is saying to the exiles is that though they are far, far away from the outer limits of Jerusalem, that God's redemptive ark continues with them right there in that situation, in that exile, in that city. The Skyway Bridge, Coots Paradise, and the Chidoke Trail aren't exactly the sprawling gardens of Babylon, but in so many ways our experience as people of Hamilton and Burlington and Caledonia and Dundas and the surrounding regions, it mirrors the, uh, the, the, the story of the exiles in Babylon. We find ourselves living in a city that shares little to no of our ethics or values. 
you know, wherever we go. You know, we find ourselves too conservative for the liberals. Think about our, our sexual ethics or the issues of morality that we uh, believe in. And yet also too liberal for the conservatives. Think about the Bible's teaching on social justice and siding with the marginalized and oppressed. Now, simply put, we don't fit here in Hamilton. We aren't at home anywhere we go. So, like Israel, we find ourselves far, far beyond the outer limits of the place that we would really call home. A city that is filled with shalom. And we have that same ache in our hearts for this city that they did. Even if you aren't a Christian here sitting in these pews, first of all, I'm really glad that you're here. And second of all, I think that you would also feel this deep ache for a place that is free from suffering from oppression, from crime, where true justice prevails. See, all of our hearts break when we see the tents on the escarpment or the shopping carts full of belongings. Hamilton is a great city, don't get me wrong, but it is a far cry from the paradise that we long for. And yet, with conviction, I can tell you that in our circumstances, and in our place, God has called us to be resident exiles in this city, in our neighborhoods, in our apartment buildings, in our communities. And that that is the place where you find yourself right now. That is the place where God's redemption is taking place through us, his people, empowered by the Holy Spirit. Like Israel, we are resident exiles, living out our unique divine purpose. Believe it or not, you were called into this and equipped to do this. Simply by you living here. You don't need anything else on your resume except for resident of the Rolston neighborhood. Or fill in the blank. We are called to bring about shalom in the places and the circumstances that we are in right now, and God has placed us here. How can you argue with him? But now let's look more at this call to bring about shalom. What does it look like? Verses 5 and 6 put this call into greater detail for us when it says, Build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they may too have sons and daughters. And what's so interesting about this calling is that it instantly increases the Israelites' commitment to Babylon. If you are planning a quick escape, a quick escape ninja style, you are packing as light as you possibly can. Right? You are, you are not bringing six liters of water with you. And it's the same way for Israel. They, they, they were, you know, the, one of the things that, that Don read for us from this passage is that the, they, there were false prophets and people dreaming dreams about a quick escape. No, 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 this won't be a long exile. It'll be short. So be ready to jet at any single moment. And so the, the common sense thing to do is to not create any ties whatsoever to the place that you're in. Pack as light as possible. And yet Jeremiah is saying something quite different. The Lord through Jeremiah. He says to the people there, no, 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 no. Increase your commitment there. The call to marry and 
be given in marriage is a call to sustainable community. That was a culture where it depended upon those sorts of relationships to, to build community in a place. It necessarily involves investing in and expanding the relational boundaries of your life. You know, we also like to live in tight little neat groups and are often hesitant to get to know the people that are outside of our relational dimensions. But we have this same calling given to us. Let's be honest, though. Our neighbors can be a little difficult and annoying sometimes. And Bob down the street is pretty needy. We'd rather go to work with the sole focus of getting it done and come home to our families rather than taking the time to develop friendships and relationships with our coworkers. But God has given us a different calling. It makes it more complicated. Being generous towards the world does not simply mean writing checks to charities or going on missions trips, but making intentional commitments to the place that you live as your place. And so we should start to refer to things as my neighborhood, my workplace, my school. Commit yourself to its growth and its flourishing. This is your God-given responsibility. One commentator I read put it like this. He said, Christians should do anything and everything to further the public good. Seeking the peace of the city means being a good neighbor. It means shoveling the sidewalk, the whole thing. It means cleaning the street. It means planting a tree. It means feeding the poor. It means volunteering at the local school. It means greeting people at the store. It means driving safely and helping others with car trouble. It means shutting down immoral businesses. It means embracing people from every ethnic background with the love of Christ. This is the calling that we have received. One other interesting feature in this is the call to garden. I'm not a gardener at all, by any stretch of the imagination. You don't want me within 10 feet of your gardens, just to be known. But um, one of the things that I do know about gardening is that it is absolutely essential for that garden to have rain. A garden that does not get water dies. That is gardening 101. And for uh, the call for the Israelites to garden and to plant and to eat the produce means that they're planting gardens right beside their Babylonian neighbors. And so if, if you plant a garden, you need to pray for rain. And if you pray for rain for your garden, then it's going to fall on your neighbor's garden. That is instantly increasing the commitment to prosperity for the entire city. When you plant a garden you are necessarily connecting your good and your well-being to your neighbors. How do you do that? How do we do that as a church? We must see God's generosity towards us as informing our generosity to the world. God worked to bring about shalom in our lives, and in the same way, we are generous towards and bring about shalom in other people's lives. Now, I could... I could go on forever about this, but I think you understand. But where we often trip up is why. Why do we live like this? 
Because I think we can only really start to bring about shalom in our cities and in our communities in a healthy way through the power of the gospel. Because we can easily run in two different directions. See, verses 10 to 14 is pretty much the most encouraging passage in the entire Old Testament. And I'll read it for us. It says, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my good purpose or promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, to shalom you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope in a future. Then you will call on me and come to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you declares the Lord, and will bring you back from captivity. And so, when we talk about seeking shalom, the peace and the prosperity and the wholeness of the whole neighborhood and the city, we can run in in two different directions. First, we can look at the city with rose-colored glasses. We can say things like, well, if we work hard enough, if we create the right institutions— If we do the right things, then we can create a city of shalom. It's about working hard. It's about being nice to each other. It's about voting the right political party in power. Then we can accomplish shalom. With rose-colored glasses, we look at the city and we say, we can do this. It is possible to accomplish this vision of shalom right here in Hamilton, Ontario. The problem is always the other people. The other people who don't look through the same rose-colored glasses as you. The problem is that things are very complex and complicated in this world. And if we look through rose-colored glasses, it will will never result in, in communities coming together. Because God tells us that we will never be able to fight back out of exile. We are stuck in the chaos of this world, and it takes nothing less than an act of God to redeem us. And so the gospel works by giving us a reality check. Brothers and sisters, Jesus had to come. He had to experience the exile that we deserve on the cross so that we could be set free. We can't work our way out of it alone. We can't bring about shalom on our own. It is an act of God. We are called to participate only through the power of the Holy Spirit. The gospel corrects our rose-colored glasses, but it also, it also, um, sorry, I lost my spot. It also destroys our pessimism towards the city. Some of us have grown up hearing that Hamilton is the armpit of Ontario. What an image, first of all. Second of all, is that what Jesus thinks? Jesus didn't go to the cross out of compulsion or peer pressure, but out of love. He loves this city. He loves every person in this city. And he emerged as a victor over sin and death. He conquered the grave to redeem Hamilton. 
This means that God has plans to bring about shalom for eternity for all of us. He has plans not to harm us, to give us hope and a future. We will not go down with the ship. The, the vision of a restored and renewed heaven and earth means even the armpit of Ontario. And so we, we are healed of our pessimism towards the city. Because God loves the city, he is for the city, and he is working to renew the city through us. See, we'll never fully experience home. We'll never have that ache in our hearts fully met until Christ comes again. But as Jeremiah says, we can seek him, and we can find him when we seek him with all our heart. When we partner with him, in the renewal of all things, when we work to build a city of shalom. We have an opportunity to, in a few moments, to experience the generosity of God that leads us into this type of work. God welcomes us at his table. It's a table where he brings about shalom. There is wholeness through his broken body when we receive him. There is wholeness through his shed blood on the cross. Jesus Christ in this table heals us of our every ill and sends us to pass this on to those around us. Christ has empowered us to do this. As we will say, in a few moments in our song of response, there is no one like our God. There is no one like you, God. Greater things are yet to come. Greater things are still to be done in this city. Amen. Let's pray. God, we praise you for being a God of shalom, of peace and wholeness and harmony. We praise you that through Jesus Christ we can come and we can receive this in our lives. That you put us back together. Thank you for this community and the community of Christians in this city that we can band together with and have a close connection with. That we can meet the needs of others. That we can all sing, holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. We also thank you that you are working to renew the whole world through Jesus. This is a difficult calling that you've given to us. We need your Holy Spirit to work in us, to transform our hearts. That we see our communities, our neighborhoods, and our cities in a different way. In the way that you see them. Lord, help us to increase our commitment to these places. To pour out our lives generously for others. And to inspire change and shalom in this place. 